Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, hey, everybody. I just want to talk to you guys first thing here about another awesome podcast. There's so many podcasts out there. Everyone and their mother has a podcast, but a good one, one that's been around for a long time, and one that I love is Good Morning Liberty, hosted by Nick and Charlie. Uh, These are two guys who have a background in the healthcare industry. They talk finance. They're really good at breaking down uh, these complex ideas, going through news stories, and, and really making it easy to explain and digest, and really to take the idea and the things they talk about and really influence your friends, influence the conversation, and that's what it is all about. So check out Nick and Charlie with Good Morning Liberty. You can find the show anywhere podcasts are found. Follow them on Twitter also, at GoodAMLiberty. Awesome follow, entertaining follow, and you'll learn something too. So check it out, Good Morning Liberty. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome back for another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And... Ladies and gentlemen, I always talk about, you know, in this this period, this intro period before I get into the interview of the variety show aspect we have to Lions of Liberty, how you get a little bit of everything. And this week, oh my God, this week has been uh, the most variety you could ever get. We kicked off the week on Monday with uh, with Mark's flagship program, uh, interviewing uh, Pete Quinonez. Uh, Ace Archist and Neocon Remover, one of the most ridiculous shows Mark has ever done. If you missed that, for the love of God, go back and listen to it. And then on Wednesday, yesterday, you heard Brian McWilliams, Jason Stapleton, and Michael Bolden just in a drunken, <laughs> drunken state of debauchery, talking about all sorts of different things. It has been quite a week, my friends. And today on Finding Freedom, great interview. Uh, with friend of the show, Alan Mosley, host of It's Too Late. Uh, we had a great time talking about a lot, a lot of different topics. You're really going to enjoy uh, this episode of Finding Freedom. Uh, please, I want to encourage you, if you like what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, please you know, give us that. Now they're calling it on Apple Podcasts, they call it a follow. So follow our podcast, hit the little plus symbol, whatever app or podcatcher you're listening on. Give us a subscription, follow, give us a uh, you know a five star review, and leave a little comment for us. A little love helps us with the algorithms, and we appreciate it. So please do that. And if you've been listening for a while and you really enjoy this show, you know Mark and Brian and I we're doing this pretty much for free. We really don't get any money off this. We cover our costs. So please consider jumping over to Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/LinesOfLiberty, and giving us a little pledge there. It's a fact that we have the best Patreon in the Liberty Movement. All the free stuff we give away, all of the bonus content, Degenerate Gamblers, Conspiracy Corner, getting a bunch of uh, free content early, all the Dave Smith debates. You get to see them live first before anyone else. So please, come on, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Join the Lions of Liberty pride. Why wouldn't you? Do it right now. All right. I cannot wait for you guys to hear today's episode. Let's get to it. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Alan Mosley. Alan is a historian, a jazz musician, an author, an aspiring grifter. And uh, he's also the host of It's Too Late. And he self-described on his uh, website, it's the number one show in late night of all podcasts in the Liberty Movement, filmed in Tennessee that are hosted by a guy named Alan. Alan, welcome to Finding Freedom. 
I'm glad to be here. I really need to update that bio now that I've heard it out loud. <laughs> it's the first time anyone's ever read your bio back to you? Are you kidding me? It, no, it really is. I think people I think people think I was joking. I was actually that's the most truthful thing I've ever said in my life. I think it's a great bio. I, I love when bios are, you know, not just the the boilerplate, you know, listing, blah, blah, blah. Oh, He's yeah. been doing a podcast for this long and he it's that's annoying. I like when there's some creativity in bios. So Especially when there's a little creativity, I like to uh, like to read that so people can hear it. But good to have you on the show, man. Um, I know you've been on with with Mark. We were just talking mm-hmm. be- before the show. I was saying that I just recently forgot to hit re- the record button on my latest episode of Finding Freedom, and you said that happened with uh, with Mark Claire when you were. I guess he was on your show, and then. Yep. You were on with him about about six months ago. So for people who haven't heard that episode on Lions of Liberty on our flagship program, uh, let's start off giving us some background on yourself. Uh, How did you get started with uh, the podcast? And, you know, it's it's too late. You have this great people who aren't watching the video. You can see it on YouTube or or Odyssey. You got to see Alan's (laughs) background here. It's worth it just for that. So tell us tell us your story. Well, I'll I'll split those in the two. First will be how we got started and then how we transitioned to doing a late night show. So the the original show for people that have been following me for a while was the gold standard with Alan Mosley. And we mm-hmm. did that at the studios south of Nashville uh, with my friend and an old producer, Blake Osborne. And uh, it was it was more a what you traditionally think of as a podcast. We did it in video. But that was that was just because we had the tools at our disposal. But it was really more like your typical talk radio type of a show. And we had a lot of guests. I mean, we a lot a lot of the typical names you would expect in our neck of the woods, the Ron Paul, Lou Rockwells, Jeff Dice, Tom Woods's of the world and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and we probably stuck a, a little bit more to uh, history and and politics and as opposed to uh, a little bit more entertainment and current events and things like that. And, and that was a revival. Um, I actually had a radio program actually on terrestrial radio, WMRB here in middle Tennessee. And that was a sports station. That was a sports station who, for, oh, for wow. people who don't know, for people who don't know a lot about radio, a lot of radio stations around the country are really all owned by a handful of conglomerates, and they're just getting the signal piped in from the mm-hmm. satellite. And a lot of those stations will have a few hours per week or afternoon or whatever for local programming, and the rest of it is, you know, ESPN. Well, they used their local programming for some some local politics and stuff like that. And they had a show called Get in the Game because, you know, it's a sports station. And that the Get in the Game was their politics show. And they invited me on a few times, said, hey, this is really awesome. You should just be kind of like our permanent in-house, you know, guest person. And I said, okay, cool. And they wanted to rebrand it, and we decided on the gold standard. And so so that radio station went under. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to the audience's imagination if that was my fault or not. Um, and then I revived that program as a podcast. And so it was, you know, so basically it, like I said, it it was really, you're just kind of typical radio talk, politics, uh, history, economics type show. But as we started to get into it, it it was, it was always a weekly program. And as we started to get into 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 episodes, I started to get to the point where, you know, in some ways current events is good because you always have things to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. But in the other sense, you can also catch yourself th- thinking, I'm getting, I'm getting burnt out because a lot of this is just rage porn is, is what I would call it. It's just, yeah. I mean, okay, so there was a cop shot somebody this week. Okay, first of all, that's every week. And second of all, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. <laughs> like, I can't, I, this can't be the topic of our show every week, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we already were sort of flirting with doing more pop culture and more entertainment. And even though we were having a lot of the similar type guests, I was kind of challenging them to say, hey, come on and be positive and joke with me and have a good time. And let's talk about some hobbies you have that you that you never talk about, things that you never write about in your profession or whatever. And then as we started to kind of push the envelope of graphics and entertainment and, and music and things like that, it's like, well, you know what? I really want to. I love Craig Ferguson, who had the Late Late Show before. Um, he was good. Uh, Craig was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Craig, Craig was my favorite, and I was like, you know, I would rather be Craig Ferguson than Bill O'Reilly. 
And so I, I agree. <laughs> I and so I literally took three weeks off and sat down with the computer and some equipment and my brain and some coffee and figured it out. And then now we produce It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Craig Ferguson, he was in he was like the villain in old school, right? Wasn't he uh was that old school when he was making out with uh the server in the bathroom and he was yeah, he was dating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then anyway, he was on anyway. uh, he was on Drew Carey there for a while. Was he? He was yeah, he was on the Drew no, Carey. I got them show. confused. I'm thinking of not Craig Ferguson. I'm thinking of prior. Am I getting confused here? Prior to Craig Ferguson. Are you thinking of Craig Kilborn? Yes, I'm thinking of Craig Kilborn. Too many Craigs. Yeah, that, well, it was because they, they replaced. I mean, that was kind of a running gag of Ferguson's for years. Is that if they were making fun of him, they would say, "Is Craig Kilborn there?" <laughs> um, but Craig Ferguson was awesome because I mean, he was a late night show host, but his whole shtick was everything was kind of a little a little bit lower brow than most and it was a little bit there's uh, it, it's something that we try to emulate on our show which is look i don't have a million dollars the the production that we do is like it's it's me figuring it out as i go i don't have a mm-hmm. team or money to to do it but if you can do it well while at the same time kind of maintaining some of that all shucks homey you know we're just sort of you know using duct tape and that sort of thing it, it kind of is endearing and that was yeah. something Craig was really good at. And so, and he was also really big about deconstructing the platform. So it, it is a late night show, but he's not like all the other late night shows. He's really going out of his way to stand out. And I really take that to heart from a, just purely from an artistic, not a politi- not a political standpoint, though, mm-hmm. goodness knows we stand out. But from a artistic standpoint, trying to do a show that if you listen to my, if you watch my show randomly with 50 other podcasts, you're going to remember that, that. Who was that one guy doing the whole shtick? And I'll be mm-hmm. like, hey, I, I stood out in that guy's mind. Oh, that, that's good. And uh, w- we need more of that, I think, in uh, the Liberty community. Um, I, I always mm-hmm. tell, you know, people who want to start podcasts, because, I mean, in this day and age, if you're listening to this in the future, this is 2021. This is in the height of the uh, Liberty podcast <laughs> boom, I hope. I hope we don't get any, any more Liberty podcasts. Yeah. But, but uh, I tell people, start a podcast about something else or just something that, that mm-hmm. you want to hear because um, it's going to be really hard to gain any traction, you know, having a, a Liberty podcast right now. Um, so just do something different. And then, you know, that stuff, those ideas were just kind of bleed through along the edges. And people, people need to hear that. We need uh, these ideas in culture in, in different ways. So I, I, think it's, I think it's great what you're doing. Something that I, I've said on the show several times and, and have talked about in other interviews is I, 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 in my mind, like I'm not, I'm not trying, this is not me subtweeting anyone. So for the love of God, don't at me on Twitter, but I like, I cringe every time. Well, what is said, your Twitter in case people want to at you? By it's uh, Alan Mosley TV. So there you go. Uh, everything's Alan Mosley TV, but there you go. The the people who either ask each other every five minutes, so how did you find liberty? Or or even worse, the people who say like they feel like it's their job to have commentary. Every single time anything happens on planet Earth, they feel like their responsibility is to tell people, well, the libertarian position on this is X. And I'm like, yeah. so first of all, we don't do that. I try really hard to not come off as I'm preaching to you that, well, I'm a libertarian and I know everything. And therefore, when this guy dropped a balloon, the libertarian position on this is X. I never do that. What I try to do instead is I just do my show and talk about the things that interest me and talk to people I like. And and I hope that it's a successful and entertaining program that just so happens to be hosted by a libertarian and maybe that's a different way of entering the sphere than trying Mm -hmm. to pointedly tell people directly i'm going to let you know what to think no i I think it's i think it's good and i think there is you know just talking with you know my fellow co-hosts here at lions of liberty mark and brian Mm -hmm. and i know many others in this movement who are getting sick of in fact i'm show, I think it was Monday's show, Monday's show, um, this will air this week. So um, Mark had on uh, Pete Quinones and uh, Ace Arcus and Neo Remover. Those are their Twitter names. 
Um, people don't go by real names anymore. That's, that's another thing. But uh, just talking about how people are just getting tired of this, you know, just talking philosophy and not that there's anything wrong with philosophy, but the problem is mm -hmm. it's not going to be applicable in real life, probably in our lifetime. So it's, yes. it's, there's only so much you can do. And I think that there's been a lot of maturity in this movement to the point where we got to take steps forward and, you know, move into different, uh, different sectors and do different things. So anyway, I think we've, I think we've beat this horse. <laughs> enough. Uh, so when you, uh, when you are filming your show and you're looking for mm -hmm. guests, uh, sure. what type of people do you look for in a guest then? Are you looking for, are you looking, are you having on people who have nothing to do with Liberty movement and, uh, or is, is that something you, you've done? Well, so it's, it's, it's harder actually with it's too late than it was with, with the gold standard, the original iteration is that for one, I tell people all the time, there's no such thing as a Liberty movement. There's only, I, I like, I avoid, I eschew collectivist jargon and okay. I try to, um, with the gold standard, since it was much more explicitly, this is a libertarian program. We're talking to people in this community that, that that are very like minded and whatnot. It, it it there was it was obviously very more niche. Um, but but with it's too late. I'll I'll be totally honest with you. The the challenge has often been. I mean, we've had guests before that I would like to have back, but this mm -hmm. isn't the same show. And unfortunately, um, you know, there's there's kind of that running gag in, in our neck of the woods of, of libertarians being on the spectrum. And I'm and I'm here to happily report that's totally true. Libertarians are autistic as all get out. Um, and so it's unfortunately, nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunately <laughs> for a lot of those people, un they're they're not entertaining. Like, let's uh, call a spade a spade. They're not entertaining. Mm -hmm. They're not particularly well spoken. And if you're trying to do a late night show where we we when we produce the show, we basically do it as a live take, sort of like Saturday Night Live, like all the commercial breaks and bumpers, everything you see is literally happening right then as we're doing as we're producing it. Um, we we basically don't edit our program. And so there there are people who have had experience with, say, live radio or TV, and they kind of just sort of kind of get the gist of, you know, you've got a time frame, you go on, you've you've got your zingers ready to go. You know, you're you're being receptive, you're keeping the conversation flowing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of people have never had that experience before. And unfortunately, those types of people. And I'm not going to name any names because I'm I'm already in trouble at this point. But a, those types of people don't make good late night talk show guests. Mm -hmm. you, you sort of need to be on your toes a little bit to be the guest on a late night talk show. Whereas if you're just purely talking political philosophy in just a 60 minute block of space, it's there's more space to just kind of let it ruminate and and ponder the thoughts, but on a late night show and, 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 and for my part, you know, I want to give people a chance to talk and I want to give them pointed questions, but I also want to poke a little fun. And if that's something yeah. that's intimidating to you, if you're someone who can't take a joke or can't fire something back, then maybe this isn't the program for you. And, and, and I'm not, and I'm not belittling that person. I'm just saying maybe a, tr maybe a more traditional radio show is your bag and not this kind of a show. Well, I think to be perfectly honest, I think it takes practice and being mm -hmm. in those situations to sort of learn how to do it. And I, I think I, I've gotten a little better at it over time. In addition to, to this show, Finding Freedom, um, I have another show with also Lines of Liberty Co. It's Brian McWilliams and um, mm -hmm. Howie Snowden and, and Rico, the elusive legal counsel of Lines of Liberty. And uh, it started out as a, we called the show Bravo and Beer. And it was just talking about if you've ever watched like 90 Day Fiance or all those, you know, shows that, you know, that you watch with the wife, just breaking them down and making fun of the people on them. Uh, really just, just banter, mindless banter, but sort of training that. It, I've noticed over time, it kind of trains that muscle to uh, be able to, you know, mm -hmm. have that easy conversation back and forth. But we realized after doing like 50 episodes that it really sucks to talk about reality TV. So we've kind of pivoted and we're kind of talking about things like weird patents that we find and uh, just going in some weird directions, but it's, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. 
we'll see where it takes well, us. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's one of those things, though, where the concept of the show is great, but, you know, it's kind of like the launch pad needed to be worked on a little bit because yeah. I th- in, in, in my experience, you can tell me if this is something you've shared. I've, I've been I've met all sorts of people that are like minded to us in real life and, and, and visited with people and gone to meetups. And sometimes you have just such not just I mean, you have such provocative but also entertaining and free flowing and, and, and joyous conversation with people. And sometimes when you think of doing a show like we're doing right now, you think, how can I synthesize that? How can I just like, I wish I just had a camera and a microphone right then when we were all hanging out and having a good time, because in the process of doing it, some things came up and we had a very fruitful conversation. And so it's figuring out a way to, to put that in a bottle, you know, and then yeah. distill that for this program and so if, and, and I mean, Hey, if you can figure, if you can do that, then you're going to have a hell of a show and irrespective of what that particular week's topic is. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, you can look at the most successful podcast of all time, I would assume being Joe Rogan, which is mm-hmm. what he's done. He's been able to capture these interesting conversations, starting out with comedians, just mindless banter, but bringing on scientists and you know, leaders in different fields of philosophy. And I mean, Joe's not the smartest guy, but he's able to, you know, carry on a, a conversation. He's able to ask questions and he he reads the books these people write. So he understands them at a, at a base level, which is not easy to do. I, I could not be Joe Rogan. Most people could not be Joe Rogan. But I've noticed in listening to him, I don't know if you're a listener of his, I don't listen to, I listen to maybe one out of 10 episodes, but it seems like it's getting more difficult for him. And I don't know if that's because, I've been inundated with so much other content that I'm just seeing maybe some better content in different mm-hmm. places. So his isn't seeming as good as it it did at the time, if that makes sense. He's kind of maybe getting passed by by others. But uh, it's it's not easy to do once you do climb to the top of the mountain to uh, to maintain yeah. that. Uh, so, I, I mean, I like Rogan. I mean, I, I knew I've known Rogan forever because I was a I was a big MMA fan. So I already I knew oh, who yeah. Joe Rogan was. And then when he got into the kind of the pot, I mean, podcast world is really his gig now. Talking at the UFC is a hobby at this point mm-hmm. um, or or acting for that matter. But the thing about Rogan is, is that he, of course, he's been doing it for a long time and he's talked to a lot of heavyweights. He's talked to a lot of huge personalities and experts and that sort of thing. And I am, I'm definitely a believer that, you know, obviously a talk show is not the same thing as a sitcom or a drama, but I definitely think that programs have a shelf life. And I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours about all the shows that we've seen on TV that you think, you know, that show ended a few seasons too late. You know, mm-hmm. they peaked, they had some sort of really massive plot line and then everything tied up. And then the network decided, let's, sp- let's spit out three more years for the cash. And it just, it never quite recaptures that glory. I think Rogan's kind of in that place where when he was a little bit younger man and a little bit more energetic, um, he, he, he was good at that. Even if he obviously is not a rocket scientist, he was good at challenging his guests to inform him. Like, look, hey, you're the guest and everyone's right. here to listen to you. That's nothing. I'm, I'm just silly old Joe Rogan, but I'm going to challenge you to tell me why I'm so stupid and inform me about what it is that is in that's your field of expertise. And people would come on and I mean, it would be great and it would be, you know, good things for the layman to listen to. I mean, look, it, if a rock, you know, if, if Neil deGrasse Tyson goes on Rogan to talk about science, other scientists don't need to listen to it because they that's their field. And people who aren't scientists need it to be dumbed down to where they can understand, which just so happens to be where Rogan can also understand, mm-hmm. right? And so they were, man, he was excellent at doing that. But I think, um, you, I mean, I think we're probably, you know, uh, hundreds of episodes past where that sort of had played. I mean, how many times can you talk to the same people? You know, how many different people can you pos- possibly talk to? I've had that on. I had that thought with myself with the gold standard. I thought, well, I had a short list of people I really wanted to meet that, and that was a vehicle to do it. And then when I did, it was like, uh Oh, now what do I do? I, I kind of didn't really yeah. have a plan after that. Right. Like I got to, I got to talk to Ron Paul. And once I hung up with him on the phone, I was like, well, now who do I have next week? It's, <laughs> it's downhill from here, buddy. 
Well, I'm sure you figured once you talked to all those people and brought those voices to everyone's ears, all your listeners, that you'd be a multimillionaire and just retire, right? So, oh, oh, absolutely. I, I tell people every week when we're advertising our Patreons or PayPals or whatever yeah. is that I know I know what you're thinking. An anarchist late night talk show host who works for himself. I'm sure he's a multimillionaire, but I'm that I'm so greedy. I'd like you to donate some more. Exactly. That's the dirty little secret of uh, us libertarian podcasters. We're all closet multimillionaires and we're just still taking the money because we're so, so greedy. But I, 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 I want to come you're... back to something you said, not to get too much into this, but sure. I, just, I just want you to, to clarify maybe for people. You said that you don't really think or would say that there's a liberty movement. And maybe mm-hmm. to tie that together with something else that I heard on one of your recent episodes with, uh, with Eric, uh, The Rebel with the Cause, Mm-hmm. You guys were talking about labels and you not using the label libertarian, maybe using yes. the anarchist label more. So does mm-hmm. that, do those two thoughts tie together? Um, in some ways. So I know that there's, I, I was actually listening to something just the other day and I heard my name come out of one of the people that were talking and I thought, uh Oh, I'm, I'm in, no one talks about me unless it's something terrible. And sure enough, what they, they, I mean, they were a friend of mine, uh, incidentally, but what they were saying was, is that Alan goes around telling people he's not really a libertarian. Well, Alan, you are a libertarian. You can't run away from this word. And, and my explanation is if, if I can defend myself is while I know that there's crusader types out there who feel like language is really important and that words have meaning and that meaning should be protected. Um, and I, and I sympathize with some of those particular causes. The reality is, is that words are meant as communicative devices and popular nomenclature, popular understanding is what a word means. Mm-hmm. And in, in my opinion, there, there are multitudes of people who use the word libertarian or, or add some type of prefix or suffix to it um, to identify themselves, and I don't identify with them. And so if, a, if, if, if in my mind there's only 15,000 libertarians on earth, but there's, f- but there's 500,000 more people who say, uh-uh, I'm a libertarian, I just so happen to want to bomb Afghanistan, then I'm like, well... I can either I can either be the gatekeeper who travels the world telling everyone they're not a real libertarian or I can distance myself from that. And and I've done both by the way. But since the but since the former gets really tiring, I've decided to go mm-hmm. with the latter and just uh and I know that there's people out there who think like me that when they're when they're with a group of people that aren't as deep in the weeds as you or I might be, they just say libertarian because it's a word that they might be more familiar with. They don't say anarchist because if they're not familiar with libertarian anarchists, it's just going to think they're a terrorist, right? But in general, I just go with anarchist and I leave it at that. And I don't get into debates of all the various uh, academic subcultures of anarchism and, and all that type of stuff. I just say I'm an anarchist and leave it at that. And if people assume that you're throwing bricks through windows on the weekend at Starbucks, then so be it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's what's that? You, uh, it's it's good to be fear and loved, but at least feared. So we'll just we'll just go with that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've kind of evolved. I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this. It, it is so true that I mean, all these words have been stolen. I mean, classical liberal that's that's gone. Sure. Um, libertarian. Yeah. What, what does it mean when you have mm-hmm. you know someone like uh, I don't know? Didn't Dick Cheney say at some point that he was libertarian leaning? Maybe I'm thinking of George W. Bush. Anyway. Um, but it's, yeah, the, the word, the word has lost its, lost its meaning. And with, you know, anarchism, I've argued with, with anarchists saying another word lost its meaning. You know, it's been taken by, uh, by Antifa. And when people hear the word, they think violence in the streets. And it's really hard to overcome, especially like visual persuasion like that. When you see someone throwing a brick through a window and the CNN host says that there is an anarchist. And the person at home is like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you can't, you can't get past that. But at a certain point in time, also, like you said, fine. If you want to associate me with that, whatever. Well, <laughs> like, I, I, know, I know that there's people out there that they, they can't help but divorce themselves from kind of the pugilistic 
uh, aspect of politics. They want to be in the game. They want to be, they want to attach themselves to winners. They want to be fighting against the bad and they want, and they want to be engaged in the political process. And, and so those people are so much more concerned about some of the things you just said. Those people are more concerned and get angry when Mr. CNN guy says that's an anarchist and they're pointing at some random mm-hmm. commie. And I, and I, and I get there again. It's, like, it's obvious. I'm, I'm not autistic. Like all of them are They I get that they're, that they're frustrated because they feel like they're not being represented properly, but that doesn't frustrate. And that and maybe at one point in time that did, but that doesn't frustrate me anymore because I don't care. Because mm-hmm. me playing some type of numbers game, I'm not. I'm not rushing to. The, I'm an anarchist. I'm not rushing to the ballot box. I'm not voting for anybody. So us, us, you know, us consolidating our numbers for some type of cause is is purely irrelevant to me. I, I don't. I don't care. And but it's but it's 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 a it's a release though at the same time that well since I'm since I'm focusing so much more on self improvement and people building networks and communities. And and not and not looking for positive action through political means, then those types of public representation don't matter anymore. Yeah. Well, let's totally shift gears and talk about sports for a minute. <laughs> so you you're a self-described sports guy, right? You mm-hmm. uh, enjoy the uh, the sports ball. So I just realized I sent you like the wrong link before, but I'm sure you're smart enough to find the article that I was talking about. I got it. uh, So so the NCAA, SCOTUS recently uh, ruled unanimously, um, siding with college players against the NCAA uh, with things like they're able to to use their their likeness to to make money. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's this argument that immediately people push back and say, wow, these students are getting a free education for uh for playing college football imagine if i could get free education for playing a game so what what are your thoughts on this uh on this thing and um yeah what what are your thoughts well uh, so it's it's that's a big question um in my my good friend mike meharry and i we used to do a show we we still tinker with it every now and then called sports ball with mike and alan Mm -hmm. um and it's and it's named that for exactly that reason we're making fun of the bread and circus people and uh, but he but he and I are both big sports fans. Um, and I one of my biggest complaints my whole life has been that the NCAA is a cartel. I mean, it fits every single definition of what a cartel is. And, and, and what's worse, it's not just a cartel like you're thinking of Mexican drug runners. Right. This is a cartel that's also sponsored and subsidized by the U.S. government. Like, I mean, this is this is this is deep tentacles of Leviathan that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I support players in their endeavors. And uh, I know. So to your point, when you, when you said, well, you think about the people out there that I mean, basically the traditional school of thought for decades and decades has been well players shouldn't get paid because that's going to open up pandora's boxes all sorts of different uh you know perhaps perverse financial incentives the way they see it but they're but they are getting compensated because they're getting a scholarship to play sports and you know as you put it man i I wish i could just play a game and, and get a full ride or whatever well so okay so first of all yeah i wish i could too but it's not because i didn't just win the lottery it's because i can't run a 440 it's because exactly. i can't field punts i can't shoot threes at an 83 percent I mean, come on, like, let's, let's be the people who say that are people that never had a chance on this earth of ever being Mm -hmm. a professional athlete. So just dismiss them right out of hand. Uh, But, but further to the point is while, while in, in some sense, I'm happy that there might be a ruling where players might be compensated in some real meaningful sense, because I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours about the risk of injury. I mean, there's, there's players that are, I mean, we're not talking about breaking a leg. I mean, there's players that get paralyzed playing football. So, and, and you think of, you think of the risk, you think of players like, I, 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 I mean, I could sit here and tell you I've had numerous conversations with Fairweather fans who would say, oh, our superstar junior decided to leave school and go declare for the draft. What, a, what an asshole. I wish he was still playing for us, uh, you know, us as, in their, as if they're on the team, right? But these, these kids are way more often than not come from low or, or middle income families. 
And if they have a real chance of being a multimillionaire playing a professional sport, then college is not an education. College is at best a tryout, at worst a hurdle that mm -hmm. a lot of the leagues are in collusion with one another to make sure that they have to go through. Uh, I mean, this it, people could people could literally spend months digging in and seeing the untold amount of corruption and intermingling between the state and the major universities and even private universities and multiple divisions and all the sports about how all of the all of the money that goes into the TV contracts all the money i mean there's 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 lots of schools where their football team is based is paying their professors like let's like what's funny you know on that same token there's lots of professors that say why is the football coach making 10 million a year because he's paying your salary asshole that's why he's making 10 million a year you look at like the university of alabama which they have yes. arg arguably the greatest football coach of all time in nick saban and the University of Alabama's track record academically prior to Nick Saban was was not very good. And mm -hmm. not just because of Nick Saban, but largely because of Nick Saban, um, all that money coming into the university, coming into that area, the academics have gotten much better with the University of Alabama. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's not really an argument for or against paying players. That's just an argument about what drives um, college education, what drives uh, the university system, and it's 100% sports. And with football being the biggest sport, it's pretty much football that drives everything. Well, you so specifically bringing up Nick Saban, I, I remember um, when he when he got his last contract extension, maybe a few years back. Um, there was some articles out there that were specifically talking about exactly the subject of this man's making 12 million dollars a year to be a football coach. Um, the, the next he's the highest paid quote public employee in that state. And it's by an enormous margin. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's no other employed, uh, by the university or the state or the city that makes even 5% of what Nick Saban makes. But, you know, we are, we're market guys, right? We're, we're, we're economic wonk type guys. Yeah. What's he making for the university? When you look at the fact that the football program is worth like lit literally like a billion dollars, then you realize he's actually drastically underpaid. And right. if you could go start a university and have a football team in D1, you should be offering Nick Saban $50 million a year and you'd be right to do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing that so just to go back to this, uh, the uh, argument on the other side of this saying, well, the players are good in education. It's it's the mm -hmm. same argument that uh you know people will say in, in major sports major league baseball they'll say well this player's making 50 million dollars a year they should be making that much money well who should get the money who should that money go to should it go to the owner should the owner get all that mm -hmm. money what why shouldn't the player get the money are you arguing for you know more of these rich white men to get all the money what's 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 your argument here it doesn't make any sense but it's yeah no sorry go ahead well, I was just going to say, I mean, you you could you could peel so many layers off of this onion. You think of sports like take the NFL, for example, that have salary caps for the teams. Why? Why are there salary caps? Now, I know you might think, well, that's because then you'll have the Dallas Cowboys and the or the Redskins or the Patriots or teams that have multi-billionaire owners. You know, they'll go out and buy all the best players. But there's. But first of all, there wasn't always a salary cap and there's other sports that don't have salary caps. And yet in those sports, the, the, the quote unquote richest teams don't win every year. Uh, what what was the last that's, time? That that's a bit of a uh, I, I could argue the other side of that, but go ahead. I'll just let, finish your thought. Well, you know, people like to use like the Yankees as an example It's OK. Mm -hmm. You know, when what was the last what was the last time the Yankees were the undisputed uh, best team in Major League Baseball for a stretch of three, four, five, six years because they have all the best players and everyone on their roster is making a killing. What was the last time? Uh, it's been since the early two thousands, I think. Right, some yeah. sometime in that in that range. It's yeah. it's been some time, and so either either they're wildly incompetent, which. If you don't like probably, me, you know, I think it's maybe you, maybe, you, maybe you agree with that or, or there's just more to it than that, that there's, that there's a finite resource pool of players, but you also reach a, a point of, of competition where there's other aspects at play other than just, just who runs the fastest, just who throws the hardest, just who hits the hardest. Um, yeah. 
but but to, to to circle that back though really quick to the players specifically and specifically for for uh, coll- collegiate athletes is that it's it's true that they might be on scholarship to the school, but that's just because that's how the system is designed. That's that's just the way the game is played. If you were a prospect coming out of high school and you genuinely were, I mean, you're talking this is a five star blue chip guy, you know, he's he's wanting to go play in the NFL then he's not really getting an education because he's only going he's only going to Alabama because he's required to go to mm-hmm. some school before he can make the transition to the NFL which is all a part of the game that's all a part of the system you think of you know uh, obviously Kobe Bryant was in the news recently because of of the tragic accident involving him but the reason why i bring him up is is he was one of the last players who transitioned from high school straight to the NBA it was shortly after that that the NBA yeah. then passed rules where you had to and then and then, and then what happened then you had 10,000 kids go to co- go to college for one year to play as freshmen and then go to the NBA yeah that's, they go play for Rick, Rick Pitino and get paid also yeah by, you can't tell me that that, that that whole system is crooked from top to bottom so to even evaluate one ruling on it at all is just scratching the surface yeah just to circle back to what you were saying so major league baseball and I'm, I'm not necessarily in favor of a, of a salary cap because, like you were saying, there's so many layers this onion. I mean, all these mm-hmm. teams have taxpayer-funded stadiums, at least partially. The majority of the stadiums yes. taxpayer-funded. I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm a Pirates fan. It's horrible being a Pirates fan. Like they've <laughs> lost 10 out of the last 12 games or something terrible. But the only way the Pirates can really compete being such a small market is if they are really bad for several years in a row – acquire a bunch of talent, and then maybe they can be good for three or four years in a row. Unless they get somebody who's really, uh, you know, a, a sharp GM who's able to kind of just keep that going, trading the players at just the, the height to get enough talent in return and uh, and keep that going. Which I, I still, honestly, from a baseball standpoint, because I'm a stats guy and I like following all that stuff in the minor league system, it's still entertaining for me to follow like a pirates minor league system and watch, you know, prospects and things like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird to weird to say. And I just went, when it's years like that, like this year, I just ignore the major league team. So it's still, it's still entertainment, but until they strip out, like you said, the, the government being entangled in, in that, uh, in that system, it's really hard to argue one way or the other. And why do the Yankees not? Why are the Yankees not dominant? Why are the Dodgers not dominant every year? And I think uh, the bottom line there is even with you know a, a bottomless wallet, it still takes talent to identify and pay the right mm-hmm. people. And you pay the wrong person fifty million a year, you're going to be paying them fifty million a year, and then you can't get rid of that contract, and they're taking up a place on your payroll. So it, it I mean, just because you can spend the money doesn't mean that you're going to spend it the right way. But. Uh, yeah, well, I just so, I, I give you one more, you know, a couple more quick football analogies. I'm a big football guy. Is that one of my biggest pet peeves is when the average just run of the mill fair weather fan, you know, say like Alabama's really good in football right now, is they'll yeah. say, "Could could Alabama beat the New York Jets?" And I always cringe when people say that. Is that no, the Jets would beat them 100 to nothing. They would mer- if they had a mercy rule, they would do it at halftime. Because the difference between Alabama and the New York Jets, even if the Jets went 0 and 16, is that every single player that plays for the New York Jets is a professional football player. Not every player that plays for Alabama has any chance in the world of being a professional football player, no matter how good your yeah. college school. They're, that would literally be men playing against boys. But but uh, another analogy, talking about how just the state and the perverse incentive structures and how it's so deeply entangled in uh, sports organizations. Uh, you know, I was a Cowboys fan growing up, and you think of the Dallas Cowboys in the early '90s. Jerry Jones had a big had a big lawsuit with or got was sued by the NFL. He was not wanting, they have a profit sharing agreement. It's a socialist organization, the NFL. And he didn't want a profit share with the rest of the NFL on merchandise because in the early nineties, the Dallas Cowboys were selling two thirds of all the merchandise that the NFL sold. Well, Mm -hmm. in any other market, you would say, well, wait a minute. Why am I, why am I giving an equal one thirty two share to the rest of the league? If I'm selling 66% of the merchandise, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I, I mean, I, it's hard to feel bad for Jerry Jones. Don't get me wrong, but 
you could see, but like, well, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't want to be a part of that agreement. And, and I know that a, a neckbeard out there could say, well, they signed into the agreement because they're members of the league. But the reality is, is that the, the state controls everything. And there's these massive perverse incentive structures between the state and these organizations that for one to split off and, and create a new football organization has obviously proven multiple times to be difficult, if not impossible. Um, Thinking of the contracts, thinking of the stadiums, thinking of, you know, TV deals and and that sort of thing. But that it, 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 in the same way with the players, again, I'm, I'm not trying to equate poor old Jerry Jones with, you know, some random freshman playing for UT, but, but it's true. They're, they're both in a similar way behind the eight ball. Whereas there is this systemic situation of which, no matter how much clout or authority or money they have, they are absolute peons compared to the system. Jerry Jones, for all of his money and clout and being America's team, he has there is nothing he can do to touch the NFL and its state sponsors. In the same way that if you're, um, you know, we'll just use Trevor Lawrence as an example because he just got picked first. If Trevor Lawrence was still playing at Clemson and he said, I'm not going to play anymore until I get paid at Clemson. You know what? That means he wouldn't play anymore because he's an absolute peon compared to the cartel. The cartel would flick him off like a pest instantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think, though, I mean, just to kind of wrap wrap up this discussion, obviously, I think it's better for these kids. I mean, it's not ideal that, you know, if if a, uh, you know, someone coming out of extreme poverty in an inner city somewhere and and barely Mm -hmm. escapes to, to make it to one of these college campuses, it's a shame that if they have the talent, they aren't able to go directly to the NFL like uh, LeBron mm-hmm. and Kobe did in the NBA. But at the same time, of course, I'm going to be in favor of them having the ability to, you know, build up an Instagram following and, you know, advertise products on their Instagram and make money that way or, or whatever. Um, I'm not sure what this, this new uh, SCOTUS ruling will allow, but um it will, it's something of that nature. It will allow them, I think, mm-hmm. to profit off their likeness, which, of course, that's going to change recruiting, how these schools recruit. These schools sure. will build up, you know, the ability to help these uh, these young men build a brand, which, which is good. I mean, that's probably more valuable, building a personal brand than getting an mm-hmm. education in today's day and age, which I don't know if that's good or bad. It's certainly not all good or all bad. It's just the way the world is right now. Well, that's the, the just how you ended that statement is really the point, and it's really the point for a lot of a lot of societal issues with with legal tendrils mixed in. Is that you you may have your own personal feelings on on universities literally handing money bags to players, or you know, or you might say, well, that isn't that going to create some perverse incentives if you say that they can benefit off their likeness and then hint, hint, week, week, someone just happens to want their autograph for a million dollars if they'll go play at their favorite mm-hmm. school. But you know what? That's the world that we live in. And in the same way that we know that laws that people don't respect, that outlaw things that peaceful people were conducting in, that just creates black markets, right? We believe right. that in also so many different areas. Look, guys, I hate to tell you this, whoever's listening to my voice right now, your school is cheating. Your school is breaking NCAA rules right now as we speak. If you don't think that you are so naive, let me tell you. So why don't you just, why don't you just open up, just open the floor up and let, let the chips fall. Yeah. Well, that's like with uh, steroids in baseball, let them in. Why not? Let's make it fun. Let, Let them take whatever they want to open it up. But Alan, we didn't get to talk about a lot of the stuff that, that I that I set aside, which is good. That means we had great conversations, and uh, uh, this was this was fun for me. Hopefully, it was for you. I'm looking forward to being on on your show as well. But before I let you go here, tell the good people of Finding Freedom uh, where they can find your show, where they can learn learn more about you, follow you on social media, all that good stuff. Sure. So, new episodes of It's Too Late come out every Wednesday night at nine o'clock Eastern Time. And you can follow me every single platform is slash Alan Mosley TV, A-L-A-N-M-O-S-L-E-Y TV. So that's Facebook, Odyssey, YouTube, Twitter, all of them is dot whatever slash Alan Mosley TV, every single one of them. You're lucky there wasn't another Alan Mosley who was doing the same thing. Or, or did you have to pay them off to get those? No, well, there wasn't anyone. The reason I added TV is because there's another Alan Mosley who's like a doctor in Jacksonville or something. 
And so if I ever, I know if I ever go down to visit my buddy Meharry down in, in Jacksonville, I won't even be the most famous Alan there visiting him. Nah, truly sad. You can't, you can't win this day and age. Too many people. Anyway, Amen. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man, and please like this song, share with your friends, and it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks. Or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us. And all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out. Patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And If you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a Taxation is Death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a Wax On Tax Off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. 